This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. Listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I N A C I T Y L I K E Y O U R S dot C O M. For links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. On this episode, Jeremy briefly tells the story of his youth. Then, at the age of 39, his biological father was diagnosed with colon cancer, which metastasized to his pancreas, eventually ending his life. Two weeks after his father's death, Jeremy started feeling pain in his hip. The pain would go on to spread throughout his body. Listen in as the mystery of his illness is solved. Later, we discuss his podcast, Think Like a Man, which involves two co-hosts. It is a show about sports, current events, some politics, and their faith. Here is Jeremy's story. My name is Jeremy Sellers. I am. Uh, I live in uh, White Pine, Tennessee, which is uh, east of Knoxville and at the foothills of the Smokies. I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, and lived there until I was about four years old. And at that point, uh, my mom had divorced my dad, had married a, another fella, and had divorced him. And her and my sister moved from Atlanta to Knoxville, Tennessee. That's where I grew up. Uh, she remarried the man who I call dad to, to this day, or I shouldn't say remarried. She married the man that I call dad to this day. Uh, when I was about eight, I think that memory served me correctly. They got together or started dating probably when I was about six years old and then they got married at eight and I will be 49 in, uh, in April. So they've been married 41 years and He's who raised me. He's who taught me how to be the man that I am today and uh, contributed to my life where my real father never did. Uh, We didn't have a very good relationship uh, as I grew up through through high school or through school and into high school and that kind of thing. You know, I, I lived with the typical regret is probably not the right word, but disappointments unmet expectations we'll say from where he failed um, as a dad and there's just no other way to put it i think one of the things i always kind of held against him uh, was when i when my mom married her second husband and and i and this a little bit of this is probably assumption i've never even asked my mom this question but he allowed that man to adopt me 
and I always looked at it as he allowed him to adopt me to get out of holding up his end of the bargain and taking care of his responsibilities. So where my name is Jeremy Sellers, I was, I went through a lot of my, well, through all the way through school and, and out of school as Jeremy Brown. I was, a, I kept that name. And so anyway, uh, we, uh, you know, I lived with, you know, a lot of disappointment and things where he was concerned. And it wasn't until probably, uh, probably my mid twenties that I just kind of came to a decision that if I was going to have any kind of a relationship with him, which, you know, you're no matter how good my dad, the one that raised me, treated me, you, there's still always something inside that, you know, you want that relationship with your real father. And, and so I made the decision in my twenties that, that if I was going to have that with him, I needed to accept him for who he was and don't expect a whole lot out of him. And if I pursued it in that way, then I would, I could lessen the, the chances of being hurt or disappointed and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, hopefully that was my idea. So anyway, I graduated high school in Knoxville, Tennessee, and all that will tie in together here in a minute, but graduated high school and I went in the Air Force. I did four years in the Air Force and as a carpenter, uh, believe it or not, Air Force, they have carpenters. We were actually in civil engineering. And so, you know, our main peacetime duty, along with other people in civil engineering, was basically taking care of the base and just regular stuff. And then if we went to war, then we would have a wartime duty, which would have been setting up what they called hardback cities, which is uh, where uh, other army or our Marine Corps or whatever could stay. And it would run like a little city. And I was active duty when the first Gulf War started. Uh, thankfully, we I did not have to go. We got down to about a four-hour standby, which means they they tell you that you know when they say go, you got four hours to get to the flight line and get on the plane and be out of be out of here. And we got down to one of those, and then the the war ended, and we didn't have to go. So I was very grateful for that. So as I I got out of the Air Force and came back to Knoxville and spent the majority of the rest of my life. Uh, in sales actually and until the economy crashed I was in uh, contractor sales I sold windows and doors and trim and that kind of thing to residential builders and that kind of uh, you know that type of situation and uh, then the economy crashed and it sent everybody in that career or that trade will say looking for other things to do because uh, we all if anybody that was you know old enough to be working during that time those there there wasn't a whole lot of building or anything like that going on and so it gave me an opportunity to to, to pursue some of the things that I that I kind of wanted to pursue which brings me to the part of my life that that I that was life-changing to me at 40 years old or let's see no at 39 years old my real father was going through he, he was diagnosed with colon cancer in the fall of um, let's see it'd be 10 years ago so I guess fall of that'd be fall of 2011 and it was pretty serious um, they were going to go in and take care of or to do surgery take it out which they did and that was in like October of that year and 
we get into November and he's not doing a whole lot better. And it was a very invasive surgery. They, the, the uh, tumors were so big that they had to go through his stomach to, to get them out. They, uh, they couldn't go uh, the other way. And so we, he wasn't doing much better and over a period of four or five, six weeks or so. And so, you know, we all kind of had the idea, you know, is it, is it, was it such a bad surgery? He was, a, he was 60 years old at the time and, you know, and you're just having trouble getting over it or is there something else going on here? And so, you know, October turns into November and which turns into to December. He's still not uh, doing very well. He's having some issues and uh, literally overnight, it was right around, seemed like it was between Christmas and New Year's. He has an episode where they have, he collapsed at the, the house where he lived. He, he was still living in Georgia. And uh, they end up taking him to the hospital. And the diabetes is not something that runs in our family. I don't know of anybody that was a diabetic, uh, including him. And literally overnight, he became a diabetic. And the reason he collapsed was his blood sugar had shot up extremely high, like to the point that they couldn't even believe he was still alive. I think normal blood sugar is around 100, uh, something like that. And his was up between six and 700 when they got into the hospital, and which, you know, they were just actually kind of amazed that he was even alive at that point. So obviously, something was going on and they put him in the hospital and over the next few days they run some tests and come to find out that they did take the cancer out of his colon but they didn't get it in time before it metastasized and it had gone to his pancreas which is what caused the uh the diabetic episode um and that kind of thing so he was um the, when you get pancreatic cancer it's one of the worst that you can get and the survival rate of five years, I think, is less than 5%. Um, you've got a couple of options. Uh, really, they gave him two. One was do nothing. The second one is a procedure called the Whipple procedure, and it can be worse than any kind of treatment that you can take, and it may only extend your life out to a year. Most people don't even make it past that the dad chose to do nothing and decided just to go home and it took so that was january of uh 2012 i guess no i'm, I'm sorry that would have been january of 2011 it was 2010 when it started and he, he did okay for as well as you could be expected he'd asked the doctor you know hey, if i go home and don't do anything how long do i have and he said about about six months. So he, he pretty much hit it on the head. Uh, he went home and he did pretty good till the middle of April or so. I mean, he was losing weight, but he, you know, he was, could still walk around and that kind of thing. And about the middle of April, he kind of took a, a uh, nosedive, we'll say. And at that point, it just really progressed. Dad ended up dying on, I believe it was June the 4th of that year. I was 40 years old when that happened and we'd gone down for the funeral and had taken care of all of that stuff and I am back home it's it's two weeks later and I had had been at work all day it felt fine and uh, came home that afternoon 
And it, I start to say at the time, I had a German Shepherd at the time. Even as we speak, I've still got the same German Shepherd. And he loves to chase a tennis ball. And that was one of the things that we would do every afternoon, just to burn off steam and everything. And he and I went out in the backyard and I'm throwing this ball with him. Well, as I'm standing there, I get a, in my right hip, I, I just get this pain. Uh, and it was like, it was the strangest thing because it was like one minute, I feel fine and literally a second goes by and all of a sudden there's this pain that's there. And the only way, it, it, the only way I could describe it was it was almost, it was just kind of like an ache. It started out kind of like an ache and it just, I mean like literally by the minute it just got worse and worse and I remember standing there thinking, my gosh, I've somehow I've pulled a muscle. That, that's what was going on in my mind. And I thought, how in the world did I pull a muscle? I wasn't doing anything but standing here. And so we finished up playing, you know, playing and I headed back to the house and, you know, I'm kind of working my hip around thinking what in the world's wrong. And so we go in and as the night goes on, it gets worse and worse. And my wife comes home and I'm telling her, I said, man, my, my hip is killing me. Of course, we, well, I have no clue why it's hurting, but by the time we went to go to bed that night, I couldn't pick my legs up. I couldn't, it, it, the pain was so bad, I, I couldn't put my, put my legs into the bed to get into bed. Uh, the way I've described it to people was it was one of those laugh or cry kind of pains. And I remember just kind of rolling over onto my stomach and I was laughing because it hurt so bad. But my wife had to pick my legs up and put them in the bed that night and so what we go to bed and, and I get up the next morning and it's it's not any worse than it was the night before but wasn't any better and I hobbled around all day and still thinking somehow I've pulled a muscle you know that's all I could come up with and I go through that whole day and it it's not any better I get up the next morning and and still hurting and we start the day and I kind of notice as we, I'm working through the morning and I thought well hey my I think my hips start to feel a little better and and so uh, you know as we progress through the morning uh, you know as each hour goes by I thought yeah I believe I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better I'm not hobbling as much and you know in my mind I'm thinking I have no idea what that was but it appears to be going away I remember I remember exactly where I was uh, at lunchtime that day there's a highway close to us and I, I can almost pinpoint to this day the spot that I was in when my brain realized that hey my hip has just about completely quit hurting and about the time that I registered that in my mind all of a sudden I get a pain in my right um, wrist and palm I mean literally one stop the other one started and I thought, good night, what is that, you know? And within 30 minutes of me feeling the initial pain, I couldn't close my hand. I, I couldn't, if I wanted to make a fist, that, that wasn't happening. And so, and it was like the same thing all over again. Got worse and worse as the day went on. And by that night, I'm in just awful pain. And it lasts about 36 hours. I hurt the next day. And then about 36 hours, it started going away. And, about the time it goes away, it's my, my left hand starts to hurt. Uh, and so at this point, I'm getting a little bit freaked out. So it's moving, you know, it 
hip to hand to hand, and then a couple of days go by, and it's in my, it's in an ankle, and then it's in the other ankle, and I thought, well, what in the world is going on? And so, I, I dealt with, I, I just lived with it for about a month. I mean, it was there wasn't a day went by that something wasn't hurting, and it, you know, just what body part is it going to be today or after a couple of days? And about a month goes by, and all of a sudden it doesn't move it's not moving anymore it, it, it it's in both of my hands at the same time and it stays there a few days and then all of a sudden it's in both ankles at the same time and still in my hands and very quickly i'm becoming incapacitated to, to put it blunt, uh, bluntly could you walk i hobbled um, I look like a 90 year old man, just to be honest with you, and I'm 40. If I wanted to go from the, uh, the chair to the, to, you know, a, a sofa in the room, I mean, I just shuffled. Anybody that's old enough to remember Tim Conway and his little old man bit, how he shuffled, that's what I, that's what it reminded me of. Well, that's when I said, I, I got to go to the doctor. and. So, I mean, in my mind right now, I'm thinking all kinds of stuff. You know, what in the world could this be? Do I have MS? Do I, do I you know, what is it? And I go to the, the local guy here who'd been my primary guy for a few years. And, and when I say pain, I mean excruciating pain, not like, ah, oh, my finger hurts a little bit. The only way that I've ever been able to describe the pain to somebody is if you've ever had a severe sprain, that this pain felt exactly like a severe sprain and, and it was everywhere at this time. So I go to the doctor and, I, and I, I say, listen, man, I don't know what's going on. This has been going on for five or six weeks now. I'm hurting, I'm this. And, and so he said, well, let's do some blood work. And they do some they do some blood work and, and they they test uh, you know who knows for all kinds of stuff and pr probably MS and lupus and, and these kind of things and rheumatoid arthritis and and the whole nine yards and a couple of days goes by and I go in and and he says everything came back negative you, you know nothing's nothing showing showing positive I, I basically and he just without throwing his hands up in the air. That's how I took it. It's kind of like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to give you an antibiotic and that, you know, good luck is, is just really kind of how I took it. Well, I ended up in the pharmacy of a local grocery store and I'm standing there and I, I, I guess I was looking, I don't know what I was looking for, just to be honest with you. I was standing in there. I, I, I almost feel like I was hoping that the pharmacist might say something to me. You know, I mean, I'm looking for help from anybody at this point. And eventually the pharmacist, it was a female, she walks up and she says, hey, um, do you need some help? And I, and I said, I'm just looking for something to help with this pain. And I'm describing it to her. And, and I said, I've had all the tests, they're all negative. And she said, have you, have you been bitten by a tick? And I said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, back in the spring, I was doing some work with a buddy and I just, um, he, I, I actually ended up with a lot of tick bites, you know, over a period of few days. And she said, go back to your doctor and you tell him that to test you for Lyme's disease. And she, and she looked at me and she said, now he's going to fuss and he's going to, he's going to 
kind of, you know, act like a butthole about this, but you tell him that I told you that we have seen some cases of it here locally and he needs to test you for it. Well, his doctor, that doctor's office was literally almost across the parking lot. I mean, I could be there in about a minute. And so I left there and went straight to that, to the doctor's office, really kind of hoping or expecting to get some empathy or some help. And I walk in the door and I tell the lady behind the desk, I said, I need to see, speak to the doctor. There was nobody in the office. I live in a small town. And this was this doctor's office. You know, there was times you'd walk in there, there'd be nobody in there. And there wasn't on this day. And I'll never forget this. I'm standing there in this pain and he walks out and he, and he, he looks at me and he kind of huffs and he's like, what do you want? And I said, well, I was over here and I explained the situation and the pharmacist said to treat, you know, test me for Lyme's disease. And he was, and he says, he just, he kind of huffed again. He's like, who told you that? And I tell him again, and he was like, well, fine. If that's what you want, that's fine. And he just turns around and walks away. Well, I didn't mean, I didn't know if that meant follow me or stand here, I'll come back and get you. I mean, he just disappears. Well, it pissed me off to say the least. And I just turned around and walked out and I got in my car and I was, I was home within a minute and a half and as I'm pulling in the driveway he calls me and I thought I, he doesn't want to talk to me right now and he leaves me a message and I'm sorry if I've offended you and this that and the other well I, I changed doctors at this point and end up with a um, with a female at another doctor's office and I go in so it took me about two weeks to get in to see her maybe three and I get in there and I'm at this point I'm, I'm worse than I've ever been. I mean, it, it's just, it's almost unbearable. And she comes in and she says, um, you know, tell me what's going on. And I tell her and she looks at me and she says, I'm going to test you for RA. And I said, I just had that test three weeks ago and it was negative. She said, I don't care. I'm going to test you again. And I said, okay, you know, you're the doc. So they run the blood test. A couple of days later, I come back and she walks in and she said, I got bad news. And I said, what's that? And she said, you tested positive for rheumatoid arthritis. And I remember sitting there and I said, Siri, or really? And, and she said, yes. And she said, now I want to do one more test that goes deeper just to confirm that this is what you've got. And I said, okay. So she does it. I come back few days later and, and she said I'm sorry but it, it confirms this is what you've got I remember sitting there on the edge of the I mean I didn't know a thing about rheumatoid arthritis at this point other than it hurt like you know what and I said well what I asked her I said do any of these tests are they just positive or negative or do they put you on a scale or how do they work and she said well the first one is it's just positive or negative she said, the second one I did, it, it's more in depth and it gives us some different numbers. And I said, well, what are the numbers? And she said, well, she said, anything from zero to five is considered a negative result for rheumatoid arthritis. She said, and what it's testing is your, your, your inflammatory factors and that kind of thing. So she said, starting at six and going up is a positive result. And how far up that scale you go is how bad yours is. I said, what was my number? And she said, yours was 214. Oh my God. Yeah. 
And I said, no wonder I feel like I do. And she said, yeah, no wonder you feel like you do. She said, yours is severe. And I said, well, what do we do? And she said, well, I'm, I'm, I got to get you into a rheumatologist and he will treat you. I, I won't treat you. So that was, that first symptom showed up two weeks after my dad died. And she asked me, she said, is, is there anybody else that had, that you know of in your family that has RA? And I said, well, I had an aunt who was my dad's sister who had it. I found out that I was diagnosed at 40. She was diagnosed at 39. Uh, she has since passed away. She passed away several years ago. And I said, that's the only person in my family that I know had it. And I said, could the possibility of my father's sickness and just honestly, everything that I dealt with in my life with him kind of came to a head in, the, in a way in that last six months. I mean, they were coming to a finality here. And uh, she said, it's very possible that that was the last straw as far as your body is concerned. She said, I'd be willing to bet that, that probably if you sit down and give it some thought over the past few years, there's been times where you got sore for no real apparent reason and but you and you just didn't know what that was and then when i sat down and thought about it i thought boy she's right uh, i can think about times where i've done whatever so from the first first pain that initial afternoon until i would say they got it under control was almost a year and it was a tough year I remember, um, I remember certain times, I mean, because any of the medicine that they give you, it's not a, hey, take this, you're gonna feel better in the morning. None of it works that way. It is, we gotta try this and see if we see some improvement. And if we do, we'll keep going. If we don't, we're gonna have to try something else. So, you know, you lose three or four months in the process of trying one before they say, no, you know, this isn't gonna work. We're gonna try something else. and. Uh, that first year was very, very tough. I can remember, I remember one night in particular, I was laying, trying to go to sleep. That was the biggest, if you can lay perfectly still, then you don't hurt, so to speak, but you can't lay perfectly still, and no matter what you're doing. And so every time you moved, it, it was pain. And I remember laying in the bed that night, and all I wanted to do was pull the sheet just pull the sheet up closer to my chin to kind of cover my chest. And I remember just the, just the pulling the sheet up was the, the pain in my wrist just about brought me to tears, just pulling the sheet up. I remember one morning my wife does hair and she always works on Saturdays and this was a Saturday morning. One of the things at the time that, that and still does that would help is if I'm in a, it's, when it's, that bad it's called a flare and when I'm in a flare if I can get it I don't have a hot tub but if I could get in really as hot a water as I could stand then I could get some relief while I was in there the problem was as soon as you come out of the water it just within minutes it's it's just raging back and I'm not a little guy I'm about um, I'm pretty close to 6'5 about 230 pounds and my wife's about 5'2", and this particular Saturday morning, uh, I told her I got up early when, or I don't even know if I'd been to sleep. I said, you know, I really would like to get in the tub before, get in and get out of the tub before you leave this morning and just hopefully get a little relief. And she said, yeah, that's fine. So 
I, I get into the tub and I, I lay there till I just can't any longer. And that's when I realized I couldn't get out of the tub. I could not push myself up because of the pain. I was laying on my back and I, I couldn't, when I say it was in every joint in my body, that is not an exaggeration. All the way up into my jaw and where I couldn't close my mouth right, my bite was off and I'm laying there and I can't, I can't push myself up out of the tub. My wife had thankfully had not left and she ended up pulling me just kind of having to roll me out a leg at a time an arm at a time until i rolled out on the floor and then she got me up and i remember thinking oh my gosh i'm so glad i did this before you left or chances are i'm sitting in ice cold water by the time you get home at one or two o'clock in the afternoon because i can't get up and so it it for that year it was episodes like that and the strange thing about rheumatoid arthritis is I've run into a lot of people that you say something about that and they say, oh, I've got that. And I just kind of snicker at them and say, no, you don't. What you have is arthritis. Arthritis is just debris or whatever within a joint that can cause you some discomfort. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease. It is your body is attacking itself and it is nowhere close to the same thing. And it's almost insulting, just to be honest with you. You know, you got a little trick knee and you want to compare it to what I've been going through. It's not even in the same ballpark. So kind of lost my train of thought right there. But um, so anyway, the um, over that year, they, they finally get me on some medicine that starts to work and one of the things that i wanted to say here was rheumatoid arthritis absolutely changed my life when it showed up and it changed it in different ways one of the it obviously changed it for me physically and what i could do or not do or how my life was going to work going forward from from this point but I am a uh, I am a Christian, and the and I and, and that term is thrown around a lot uh, anymore. And anybody who's got any type of church background will label themselves as a Christian. But I want to be clear that when I say this, that that I am a Christ follower. And there's a lot of people that are under the name that throw themselves under the name of Christianity. They're no more a Christian than Saddam Hussein was. So when this showed up and I start to learn what this is gonna to do to my life and how things have changed, I have choice. I have some choices to make, so to speak. Uh, being a Christ follower and putting my complete faith in him and, and, and his sovereignty in my life and in control over everything, I'm faced with a little bit of a dilemma. If I believe that, then I've got to believe that he's allowed this into my life for a reason. And I also have to be okay with the fact that I may never, this side of heaven, find out what that reason was. But I've got to trust, and I do trust, that it is for my good and his glory. And so I'm, I'm faced with that. Uh, at that point where I can either get mad 
and and soul up and uh, get mad at him and, and the world, or I can say, I trust you, even through this pain, I trust you in, in what you're doing in my life. And that's not something that's come too lightly. I mean, I'm a human being. I'm, I'm a normal man who had would have had all the feelings that anybody who's listening to this would think they would feel I had those feelings. I remember telling my wife one time, I said, don't read anything into this comment. It is just a comment. I said, but for the first time in my life, I understand why someone would kill theirself over chronic pain. If you'd asked me that a year before, I'd have said, well, they're crazy. I mean, nothing's that bad. And But now a year later, I understand how somebody can do it. When you go day after day and week after week of very little sleep, you, you're hurting all day long and, and at night and you can get no relief. I mean, you're not even thinking straight at that point. And so I understood how someone could do that. Well, it brought me back to my faith and it, and it caused me, to, like I said, I had two choices. I could either run and do my own thing and get mad and cuss and holler, or I could lean further in on God and Christ and say, I trust you in what you're doing in my life. And by God's grace, that's what I did. And it didn't mean the days were any easier. It didn't mean the pain went away. It didn't mean that, that, that I didn't hurt for a period of time, day in and day out. It just, it, but there was some peace there and some relief that, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not in charge. He is. And, and, and um, some people will look at that and, and listen to this and go, how in the world could you trust a God that would allow something that painful into your life? And my answer to that is, when God opened my eyes to my condition, and my condition that I'm referring to now is my sinful condition and my need for a savior and my need and, and my all the sin in my life that had been sin against him and him alone. And he, and he saved me from that. That's much worse than any pain that I could ever go through. And, and when I was, when he opened my eyes to the fact of the, of my need for a savior and gave me the chance and the gift to, to be able to believe in Christ and allow my sins to be for, for him to, for his work on the cross to be done in my life. That's more important than anything. And so when I, <laughs> I look and I think, you know, my sin was so much worse than this pain that I'm in and he still saved me in that situation. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Now, here we are nine years later, um, going on 10 years later, I guess in June. Um, I, I, thankfully, and by God's grace, they got me on a medicine. Uh, a lot of people will be familiar with it. My gosh, you see commercials for it all the time called Humera. Uh, and it's a biologic and it, it has worked. It has put my RA they they say into remission they they they, they talk talk about it kind of like they do cancer 
but it's always there. I'm just sitting here as I'm doing this podcast and I'm just kind of opening and closing my hands and both of my thumbs are, are, are a little stiff. And I, you know, it's, it's just kind of a, always a reminder where I'm not in a full out, full on flare, but there's always this in the background that at any minute, you know, the Humera could quit working. And, you, you know, and I think, and, and I, you know, just to be honest with you, I live in a, I, there's a little bit of fear in the back of my mind that one of these days, and, and I think it probably will happen, your, your body adjusts and all of a sudden the medicine doesn't work anymore. And you have to try something different and, uh, and you hope it works. But it's the Humera, I, you know, I tell, actually I take two drugs, I take Humera and I take another one called methotrexate, which is both of them are injectables. I give myself injections. And the methotrexate is actually a cancer drug, but they found out, I don't know if you want to say through trial and error or what, but they found out that it actually worked with rheumatoid patients. And so it with the Humera together worked very well. Uh, now the, the downside to that is both of them are known carcinogens, so to speak. Uh, they've been known for lymphomas and, and other things. And I have people that, you know, they find out that's what I'm on and they automatically curl their nose up and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe you. I would never take that kind of stuff. Well, that's an awful ignorant statement to say, first of all, because you're not in my shoes. You don't, you haven't gone through the pain that I've gone through. But once again, I was faced with a decision. I knew what the I knew what the side effects possibly were, and and this is what I looked at. This is how I looked at it. Well, I had two choices. I could not do anything, or take something that's not working, or you know, whatever that minimal effect will say, and I could live the next twenty years in a lots of pain become disabled probably and 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 become a burden on my wife and our family and uh, you know and that kind of thing and inevitably the rheumatoid was going to kill me uh, because the inflammation that's in your body not only affects your joints but it also affects your heart it affects your lungs and everything and it will eventually kill you anybody that's old enough out there to remember the eagles remembers glenn fry and he died a couple of years ago. I had no idea when I read about him dying that he actually died from complications of rheumatoid arthritis. I didn't even know he had it. And it's just amazing to me that he was able to continue to play the guitar and do the things he did even, you know, later on in his life. My other option was to take one of these drugs that was probably going to help me. And end 20 years from now, I could end up with a lymphoma or something worse, or maybe 10 years from now, I don't know. And uh, and it would kill me too. The point of the matter is, none of us are getting out of here alive. We're all going to die. And my faith and my trust is not in the drug, uh, it is in Christ. And I understand that, that the day I was born, there was a time marked that that was the day Jeremy Sellers would leave this earth. And I will not leave one second prior to the time that he's ordained. Now, whether that's five years from now or 25 years from now, I don't know. But my trust and my faith is in him, not in this drug and not in not in um, not doing anything. But I'm, but we're only here temporarily. 
you know, the scripture tells us that our life is like a vapor. I mean, we're here one minute, we're gone the next when you compare it to the whole scheme of the world. And so I wanted to have as best as I could, as many pain-free weeks and months as I possibly could, where I could enjoy my daughter, I could enjoy my wife, I could enjoy life and not be confined to a chair or a couch or, or whatever. And so with that, I, I, you know, I decided that I'm going to, I'm going to take this medication, you know? And so I, I go every 90 days to the rheumatologist. As a matter of fact, I got to go Monday for a checkup, so to speak. And they run blood work and they make sure one of the main things they're looking at is your uh, liver and kidney functions to make sure it's not affecting that, you know? And it just it is what it is it's part of my life now and it has changed the way a lot I've looked at a lot of things one of the funny things about this disease is people look at you and you look perfectly normal they look at you and kind of scowl like you look fine to me you, you know well you know if you'd seen me at times where my fingers look like hot dogs because they were so swelled and inflamed you know you would understand you know, I remember a period of time where I had to take my wedding band off because of the swelling in my hands. And, you know, and that really bothered me. I, I just, what I love my wife and something about taking that wedding band off just troubled me. And I remember the rheumatologist, I, I talked to him about it. And that was right when everything was, when I'd gotten in there and they were trying to get it under control. And he said, I promise you there, I will get you back to where you can put that wedding band back on. And Within about six months or so, he did, and it's still on today. And so, you know, I just live with it now. One thing I didn't know was apparently when you get one autoimmune disease, you end up with at least another one. And I didn't know that at the time. I found that out several years later when my thyroid went into crisis mode. And come to find out, I've got Hashimoto's, which is a, it's an, it's an autoimmune of the thyroid where your body turns on it. And so I thought, well, we just add one more thing <laughs> to the list here. So I take a pretty substantial thyroid medicine every day. It's, it's kind of funny. I think a lot of people take 10, 20, 30 micrograms for their thyroid, and I'm taking 125, you know, once a day. But like I said, man, none of us are getting out of here alive. Uh, I'm grateful and so thankful for the days that I feel good. And I, you, you know, I, I honestly, there were times I thought I'm never going another day without pain and that's pretty depressing and so when those days started to come where I you know I don't hurt it makes you even more grateful than than you could have ever been without going through this pain and it makes you more empathetic towards other people and what they're going through so thankfully you know I'm doing well you know, the funny part about it is I own a construction company now and our main focus is kitchen and bath remodels. And we are, we do a lot of tile work. And people have said, I don't know how in the world you're able to get down on the floor and with what you've got or hold the tile or, you know, whatever. And, you know, for I've been in business six years and for five years, it was just me and whoever I could get to help me, you know, hire and help. And there were days, I mean, I'm telling you, there were days where 
I can remember being on my knees laying floor tile in a lady's house and I had to take both hands. My hands hurt so bad. I had to take both hands to pull the trowel across the floor to put the thin set on the floor. Thankfully, it wasn't a huge bathroom floor and I got through it, but you know, that's somebody said, how do you, I don't, I can't believe you did it. And I said, well, you know, I don't have a choice. I've got this lady's bathroom torn up. You know I mean? She's going to be sympathetic, but she wants her bathroom done. So I've just got to grin and bear it. And that's why I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who feel the need to just pile up on the couch and collect a check. Uh, some of them rightfully, you know, probably need it. There's a bunch out there that don't that are more than capable of getting out, you know, and, and going to work. And, you know, I think here I am every day, I drag myself out of this house, hurting or not, and we go to work. And so, uh, but, but I, thankfully, again, by God's grace, my business has grown to the point where I was able to hire people. And so now I, I'm no longer on the floor. I'm no longer laying the tile. <laughs> you know, I'm the guy that points and says, do this. So it's, it's, it's helping me from the physical standpoint. So I would never be angry with God about this coming into my life or, you know, I, like I said a little while ago, I trust him completely and his purpose behind this disease. And I may never know what the reasoning was, but I trust him completely in, in his knowledge that it is the best for me and it is for his glory. So that's where that's where that's where my life changed. Hey, this is Don Smith from the Life Radio Show. If you've always wanted to learn more about the world of low-budget filmmaking and even lower-budget comedy, tune into the Life Radio Show. You can live stream the show at www.su1069.org on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Or find us wherever you find podcasts and like and follow the Life Radio Show on Facebook for live video and other shenanigans. Howdy, it's Matt Gwynn here, popping in to let you know about the adventures of the albino rhino. It's a show, uh, Frank the Giraffe here, my whole host, James Godwin, and myself put on for you guys twice a week. Uh, every Wednesday, we talk to a comedian, and every Friday, we call it Freaky Friday. The show itself is not safe for work, and that freak is definitely a different word. I just don't know what podcast you're going to be listening to this promo on. And I don't want to, uh, you know, start screaming explicatives while you're sitting in your office. If you're lucky enough to have been able to go back to the work that you did before inside of an office or whatever, you know, but we go on a, an adventure twice a week and it's a good time because we get to sit down and talk to some really cool people. Uh, and I enjoy it because, you know, I'm just curious little albino who uh, likes to get to know folks, you know? You can find us a couple ways, actually multiple ways, really. Man, there's a lot of different ways to find us. You can find us through our central hub, which is www.albinorhino.me. It's the website you can find me on. And then, you know, the podcast, you can find the videos on YouTube. Search for Adventures of the Albino Rhino, also linkable from our website. And you can also find us through Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Radio Public, and Spotify. That's right. We're on the same place Joe Rogan is. 
granted we're not we're not the joe rogan experience but you know what i mean we're there we're there so give us a listen promise you won't be promise you won't be dissatisfied and enjoy your day didn't doesn't the golfer phil mickelson have rheumatoid arthritis phil mickelson has psoriatic arthritis and he he, you see him uh, promoting embryo which is another biologic that actually will work with ra psoriatic arthritis is they, they call it the cousin to ra it i couldn't tell you what the actual differences are other than i know it uh it affects the skin too where they have i think it's psoriasis that's where the sorry part comes from but if anybody remembers the time where he was you know he left golf for a while because of you know he, he was in so much pain it, it's very very similar to rheumatoid so today you're able to manage your pain somewhat i mean you have days where you're you're down but for the most part with the medications you're taking you're able to uh function i am i am you know the the days that i'm down down are are very few anymore the humera is working great you know i'm i always I always tell my wife i'll say you know i'm sore and she knows what that means it, i'm not in a full out flare where i can't walk or do anything i'm just sore you know you you, you feel like you overdid it a little bit you know but you can still function you know my feet uh, i remember i was getting knots on my on the balls of my feet and one of them i believe it was my left foot was the worst it literally felt like i was standing on a golf ball that's how big the knot was and you know when my feet would get that bad that's when it got that's when it's hard you know you just hobble around and you you know you do the best you can you know i'm no different than anybody else i've got obligations and commitments and you grin and you bear it and you go get the job done and then when the day's over you 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 collapse into the bed and you you uh, one of the things that I really uh, I can't take is uh, ibuprofen. For whatever reason, uh, they put me on a drug called Mobic, which is more or less souped up ibuprofen. And within just a couple of days, it had sent my kidneys into chaos. And the doc called and said, "Stop taking that immediately, and don't take don't ever take it again. And any ibuprofen you're ta- ibuprofen you're taking." occasionally just for regular aches and pains he said just be very sparingly with it so there's a lot of days where i thought i could take one but i'm not going to because i don't know for whatever reason it's a it's affected my kidneys and so those are the days you just smile and you grit your teeth and you go do what you got to do is there any disfigurement with your rheumatoid arthritis i know i'm not sure if i'm thinking of arthritis solely but i, I know where people have your fingers kind of get crooked at the joints. Is that yep. rheumatoid arthritis? That is rheumatoid arthritis. And when my fingers had some fingers and some toes over that first year that were starting to curl up, uh, my pointer finger on my right hand, I'd get up every morning. If, if you if you make the okay sign with your fingers. That was the position, if you move your thumb away from your forefinger, that was the position that I'd wake up every morning with my finger in. They call it trigger finger. And it's like you pull the trigger. And I, it'd take about half the day for me to get it worked out where, it, and it never, I never could get it completely straight. I'd get it about halfway. 
but as the they got the RA under control and they you know all that all came back you know they x-rayed uh, they x-ray me occasionally just to make sure hands and feet nothing's going on and so far everything looks good so it's um, I'm grateful for that you know I, I thought you know, RA is not a new disease it's been around for a long 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 time and i read somewhere that they were pretty sure that george washington had rheumatoid arthritis and that was the first time i'd ever thought about somebody back that far having that disease and i thought oh my gosh how in the world did you deal with it i mean because i mean they had some medicinal things probably that that they but nothing like we've got today that can that can control it and take the pain away it's i don't know how they got through a day it you know honestly so it, it's kind of amazing to me here's an here's another strange fact about rheumatoid and they don't know why it's this way but i have proved i have been able to prove it's pretty much true uh that 75 percent of the people with rheumatoid arthritis are female only 25 percent are male i've i've ran into over the last 10 years a lot of people that have RA and I can attest to the fact that about 75% of them were female. There's only a, there's only a handful of people that I've run into that have this disease that are men. They don't know why that's just the way it is. I have a cousin that has rheumatoid arthritis and as a child, she got scarlet fever and that was kind of what they figure was the, the, the starting of, of her problem. You, your arthritis came on suddenly you know within one day it seems like is there is there a cause for that or it's just well, in your genes that was one of the that's what i asked the doc when her and i were talking and that was her point that she felt like you know the it I, I, okay short answer is i think yes i think it's in the genes uh and maybe it's something that's in some people's genes and it stays dormant their whole life and other people like me for whatever reason it, it comes out and i feel like there's triggers to it and i think stress is probably one you know the stress of dealing with my that's what she said probably the six months that i dealt with dad and his death was probably the last straw where my body was concerned it couldn't fight it off anymore and but i look back to the prior years uh, prior to that and that was a tough period of time for me. You know, I've lost my job when the economy went south. My wife and I, who now have been married, well, in September, we'll be married 21 years. Uh, but at that particular point, we were about 10 years in and, and we had had some significant ups and downs there, which was very stressful on both. And I, I just think it was a combination of, of things that just finally, my body said enough's enough. I can't fight this off anymore and here we go. Yeah, stress is something that a lot of people deal with. It's not it's something to... Killer. Go ahead. It's a silent killer. And a lot of people don't realize what it's doing to them physically. You know, it's not just giving you a heart attack or giving some people a heart attack. It, it, you're, it's going to come out in some way. And, and if you're not doing it, dealing with stress, everybody goes through stress. You've got to deal with it in a healthy way. And I'm not the best at it sometimes. And my wife will remind me, you know, hey, pump the brakes here a little bit. Last thing you want's a flare. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And so, uh, you know, I've got a great wife. She's been, I just love her with my whole heart. And she's walked through some pretty dark times with me with this disease and has never, 
never backed up, has stood right there beside me. And she's, um, I'm just very grateful for her. What do you do to combat stress? Do you, do you meditate or uh, pray? You know, is there uh, something that you turn to when you feel like, okay, I'm getting stressed? That's going to kick up arthritis. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, yes, I, I, I turn to Christ. That's where I turn. You know, Scripture says He's familiar with everything that He He was He was a man like you and me, but He was also God at the same time. And but He's familiar with all the things that we go through. He understands stress. He understands heartache and heartbreak and all the things we feel as human beings. And that's the only way I can deal with it. You know, I don't. You know, a lot of people unfortunately turn to alcohol or they turn to drugs or they turn to pornography or they, you know, you name it. They, they turn to all kinds of things for that to deal with those times in their lives. And, you know, do I do it perfectly every time? No, I probably don't. I probably haven't ever done it perfectly, if I'm honest with you. You know, I'm, like I said a little while ago, I'm a normal human being and and, and I struggle sometimes with trust and faith but deep down in my heart i know that he that he loves me and that he he will take care of me and and now him taking care of me may not come in the form that i think it should but that's where your trust and your faith comes in just like with the ra that i trust you that you have my best interest at heart and he does and so when those times hit Sometimes I'm a little hard-headed and I try to handle it on my own and then I start to realize this is getting out of control and I go to where I should have gone the moment the stress showed up, which is to him. And I'm, I'm going through a situation right now that, that's really teaching me even more on this. And, it's a, and I have a brother who we share the same dad, different moms. Uh, he and I were not raised in the same household. He was raised with my father, my biological father. And I was raised with my stepdad and mom. I'm 10 years older than him. Uh, and I've always been like a father figure to him, uh, more than a brother. And he lives close to me now, but he was raised in, uh, in Florida. And, you know, recently in the past couple of years, he had some, he's had some changes in his life that I, I think he's a little off base, but whatever. But anyway, he, um, just this week, I, I the last time I saw him, and I mean, we used to talk every day. The last time I saw him was the very end of October. And since then, I've tried to call, I've tried to text. He, I knew something was up. He wouldn't answer my phone call and all this stuff. And um, I got tried to get his wife involved to see what's going on. You know, what have I done? I mean, literally, he just severed the relationship and I had no clue on, on why. Uh, last week I sent him a text and I said, Hey, I'm going to be at such and such a place at 10 o'clock in the morning. Please come meet me, sit down, tell me what's going on. Let's work through this. He didn't show up. And I received a letter this week from him two days ago, basically stating what I had known was going on. And you know, he's for all intents and purposes at this point in our life, he's ended the relationship. And um, I don't completely understand why He's, he gave me his reasons, but they don't make sense. They're, they're, they're not true. And I mean, this has been very hard on me. This is, um, this is almost like losing a kid in a way, because I've been like a father figure to him. 
and uh, and I, and so this is a time that the stress was overwhelming and I didn't want it setting the RA off but I also knew in my heart that all I could all I could do at this point was pray for him and pray for myself because I mean not only am I hurt but I'm angry and as a believer that's not I shouldn't those feelings don't need to stay for long you know they're normal feelings God gave us anger you know and, and all the feelings we have are God-given feelings but they but they will absolutely eat you alive if you don't do the right things with them and so I've just had to go to God and say I don't know what to do at this point I'm gonna leave it in your hands and trust that one day we will reconcile whether that's six months from now or six years from now but I also have to be okay with the fact that we may never reconcile I may live leave this earth one day with never have speaking to him again that ball is in his court that doesn't make God any less God that doesn't make him love me any less or him anymore that's not how that works uh, he's he my brother still has the, the ability to choose what he wants to do and so you know so that's kind of a separate story on how I handle stress but that's something that's happened this week and that's how I handled it well let's let's move on now and talk about your podcast why don't you yeah. let us know how that got started who you're you do it with and what it's about uh, our podcast is called think like man um, it is myself and I've got a co-host well there's actually three of us now uh, my co-host name is Daniel Overton and we've got a guy that's been helping he started out working the kind of work I brought him in to kind of help with the soundboard and do all that stuff he's he has slowly become part of the show the podcast started back in no let's see our first podcast dropped the, i think it was the first week in november and daniel had 2019 in 2019 yes uh daniel had actually done a podcast before with another fella and it just kind of floundered they they did okay for a while and the other guy just got to where he you know couldn't he wouldn't may, may show up may not and then you, you know how that goes next thing you know you hadn't recorded in three weeks and then you don't record again so that was a couple of years ago and and i had always honestly kind of tie this in had thought you know if i could get a podcast off the ground this was one of the factors behind it was if i could get it off the ground and you know making a little money or whatever then if my ra ever showed back well it's always there but ever came back to the point where they couldn't get it under control obviously i couldn't do what i'm doing now but i could always sit behind a microphone and I could talk uh, with, you know, whether I heard or not. And so that was something that was on my mind. But I went to Daniel and said, hey, was this, would you be interested in doing this? And he said, sure. So that's kind of how it was literally born about that quick. And I went and invested in some equipment and that kind of thing. And, and uh, we came up with this podcast called Think Like a Man. And it is a, a weekly podcast. Every, we're both huge sports guys. We, so we deal with sports and current events and some, some politics and our faith is part of it. Daniel's actually a full-time youth pastor. So the, all, all of that is part of what we do. And when we started it, the only thing I knew that I wanted was I wanted it to be different every week. And I see so many podcasts out there that the podcast is based upon one specific idea, which is fine if that's what you want to do. 
and every week you're dealing with that idea and I thought that's just gonna get boring you know and so we just kind of agreed that let's let's make it different every week and so that's what we've done and we've had sports we've we've had uh, a guy that plays in the NHL on we've had his wife on who was a runner-up to Miss USA in 2011 we had a guy that was a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants we've had the sheriff local sheriff we've had some other celebrities we every week it's been something different we've started running some mini series now uh, the first one we did was on obscure serial killers, and which actually has been a very popular one for us. Uh, right now, we're currently in uh, one five five ways the world could end, and we're we're doing that one. And we've got one set up to you know to start after we're finished with this one. And uh, but back to Joe, he um, he came in to work the board, and we quickly found out that uh, I've known Joe for years. That actually he added a lot to the show. The three of us have very funny sense of humors and, and we just work very well together. All of us are quick-witted and, and kind of sarcastic at times and and we just hear a lot of feedback about how much people just enjoy the dynamic of the three of us. One of the things that we, that we do is, ours obviously is clean. We don't you know, we don't use bad language or anything like that. That would go against who we are. And so we just, we just don't do it. And we've heard a lot of people, a lot of comments back how, you know, people enjoy or appreciate that because they can put it on with their kids in the car, their wife in the car, and they don't have to worry about getting embarrassed or, you know, anything like that. And so that's the, that's the audience we go after. And that's the basis of our show. So I want you to uh, let my listeners know how they can find you. Are you on all the popular podcast platforms or do you? Are. Okay. Is it, is it audio only or do you have a visual aspect as well? It's audio only. We tried a little bit of the video thing and that just got too hard to deal with. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of difficult to edit. Uh, uh, that's what has kept me from doing visual was that yeah. I just really don't know how to edit the visual. I can do the audio fine. That was no problem. It's just how, how in the heck am I going to, yeah. you know, Exactly. Yeah, we didn't want to. We didn't want to add one more thing in the mix that could go wrong. So, we're on you know SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. We're on all of those. Uh, we've got a Facebook page called Think Like a Man. You can there's usually quite a bit of stuff going on there, so you can keep up with us there. Uh, we don't have a website at this moment. I just haven't seen the need for one you know people here probably disagree with me but we're not selling anything or you know anything like that i just it just seemed like an unnecessary expense to me so but yeah you can listen to us on all of those like i said well we i say we do a weekly podcast we do we actually recorded one we record on mondays and release on thursday something happened this week when we record daniel went in yesterday to uh do the editing and he's like uh there's nothing on the card so we lost the whole episode. Oh no! Yeah, we don't know. I don't have just a glitch or something. I don't know. It's it's weird. So there actually isn't an episode out this week, and I think next week we're going to do two to make up for for this one. So we we do try to be uh, diligent and uh, disciplined on on getting one out every week. 